Good morning, everybody. A um, couple things. Would love to have you take out your Bibles in whatever um, version of the Bible you have, whether it is a, a book like this or whether it's electronic. Would love if you had a Bible in front of you. If you don't have one, that's totally cool. You can look off the person next to you. Uh, it's great. Or you can grab one of the red ones that's provided for you somewhere on the road that you're in. And we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah. So go ahead and turn with me to, uh, to Jonah. If you're in the Red Bibles, um, it's 844, page 844. The book of Jonah is right after Obadiah. How many of you are like, oh yeah, that's where it is. I, Obadiah, right? Just right after that. Uh, it made, we, we could probably rustle around in our Bibles for the next 15 minutes and still not all be at Jonah. So it's a hard book to find. Totally cool. No shame in looking at the index of your Bible uh, in order to find it. So while you're turning there, I want to say a couple of words um, about <clears throat> the season we're in. Uh, I don't know how many of you are ready for a change of seasons. Yes, 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 I'm ready. Uh, in fact, you know, we're getting some nicer days, uh, so that's good. And I love these first few days coming out of winter where, like, the weather's nice, the sun's shining, and, uh, and all these pasty people end up going outside and doing lawn work, and then you drive by, and it's like this sun glare. Um, so, but that's good. It's all part of it. Um, and, and, but there's, there's something about this time, like the middle of February, move toward the end of February, where you're just like, you're ready for spring, ready for a spring rain, ready for warmer weather. Like, you just start dreaming about, like, man, these trees that are dormant and grass that's brown. You're just waiting for life. And the cool thing is, you know life is there, right? I mean, there's life there. And in just a couple of weeks, you can almost hear it sort of humming below the surface that things are going to burst out. Um, Daffodils are going to start growing and blooming, and grass is going to turn from brown to green, and trees are going to start to bud out, and spring is going to come. And we can start to wonder sometimes in the middle of winter, like, is it really going to happen? Is it really going to happen? But we look to this season, and, um, and, and we feel that longing inside of us for spring, for a change of seasons. And that's what we want to lean into. This is a season of the year called Lent uh, in the church. And Lent, Lent joke, Lent is not that stuff you pull out of your dryer when you, you know, change, uh, change a load in the laundry. <clears throat> Lent, L-E-N-T, is this 40-day season. It is, um, think about it as a 40-day journey. And it's a journey toward the cross, toward the highest celebration in the church year, the, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, culture refers to it as Easter, but for us, it is the celebration of, of Jesus, our Lord, who, who gave his life to take away the sins of the whole world, to redeem us, who was raised from the dead, um, that God raised him from the dead to validate everything that Jesus said and did to rescue us from Satan and from hell. Uh, it's the most beautiful message in the world. And so um, we, though, as a church, like for thousands of years, the church has said, we don't just want to like rush into Easter unprepared. We want to actually take a season to prepare ourselves. And, um, and this season of 40 days is actually really significant throughout the Bible. Um, all throughout the Bible, you see the word 40 or the, this time period of 40 come up again and again and again. A couple of examples. Um, Noah. Right? When, when God saves Noah and his family from the flood, makes a covenant with Noah and 
all created things. How many days is Noah and his family on the ark while it's raining? 40 days and 40 nights. It rains 40 days and 40 nights, right? Um, Moses. Moses is on the mountain with God for 40 days receiving the, the Ten Commandments, the covenant. Um, Elijah, when, when God, uh, you know, comes to him and gives him this supernatural food from the angels, he travels 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb where he meets with God. Uh, again and again, this season of 40 comes up. The children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus, can't forget, Jesus was, he spent 40 days preparing for his ministry, right? 40 days in the wilderness, fasting, being tempted by the enemy to prepare for ministry. So there's, and even in the story of Jonah that we're going to look at, Jonah's message, and we're going to get to that in the next couple of weeks, his half-hearted prophetic message is this, 40 days and the city will be overturned. So 40 just keeps coming up again and again and again. So what we're doing as a church with, with Christians around the world and have done this for thousands of years is saying we want to take the next 40 days and prepare ourselves. We want to go on this 40-day journey. And you might ask the question, where does this journey lead us? This journey leads us inward. This journey is actually a journey inside of our own souls. Where, where we look at those dark corners inside of us. Those corners that we would much rather pretend don't exist. How many of you have those closets in your home when you have company coming over, you just like move the stacks of things into the closets or the drawers and things like that because you really don't want to deal with them, but you know like if you open those closet doors, like everything's going to come piling out. Like we can do that with our own souls sometimes. Are we the only ones who do that? You got like your tape and passports and... Switch, you know, Swiss Army knives and all that stuff, like all this, whatever. Um, our, our souls can be kind of like that. And Lent's a season where we look inward and we allow God's light to shine in those dark places. It's a, it's a little Simon and Garfunkel-y. Um, hello, darkness, my old friend. Lent is a season when we don't turn from the darkness. We, we, like, we square our shoulders to it. And we, we're courageous and we look it in the eye and we give it a name and we allow the light of Christ to shine on it. That's what we're doing. And so um, I want to invite you into that. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking. I'm, I'm so excited about this. We've never done a series on Jonah that I'm aware of. And so um, really, really excited about this. So <clears throat> you're looking at Jonah. Um, it's, it's toward the end of the Old Testament. It's in this group of books called the Minor Prophets. And they're not called minor because they're less important. They're just smaller. And the problem with the minor prophets is that they move around in your Bible. Like you think this is where they are, and then the next time you go, it's like, oh, I thought that's where it was, but it's not. That doesn't actually happen. That's how it feels. And so um, I want to start by just saying, just real quick survey, what's the story of Jonah about? Anybody, shout it out. A whale. A whale. Fish. Big fish. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody knows this. Everybody knows the story of Jonah is about a fish. Um... When you have questions about the Bible, where do you turn to find the answers? Like, if you want to know, like, what's the story of the book of Jonah about, where do you turn for your information? The same place you turn for all your information. Google, right? Um, So if you Google the story of Jonah, um, these are the first five images that come up on your browser. At least they did for me. Okay? So it's really clear. The whole, the story of Jonah is a story uh, about a dude and a fish. Um, here's the first problem. It's not a story about a dude and a fish. 
There's a fish in the story, but the story isn't about the fish. And the problem is, this is how the story has been packaged and handed to us from the time we were little children until now. So what happens is we think we know the story. Oh, yeah, it's the story about the dude and the fish, the prophet and the fish. But it's not. Do you know how many verses the fish is mentioned in the book of Jonah? Three. The fish takes up three verses. The story is not about the fish. It's about something much, much bigger than the fish. And if we think we know what it is, if we think like, oh yeah, it's a story about the dude and the fish. Uh, and by the way, I, I was like, I thought we should go like full out experiential for this, this um, sermon series. Like, you know, we've got the decor and stuff, got the Jonah, the fish nest. I thought we should just make this whole thing smell like fish guts. Like, make the whole room just smell like the inside of a whale. Wouldn't that be awesome? I got vetoed on that, thankfully. Um, so we, we have, uh, here's what I want us to do is to say like, okay, as much as I can, I want to take everything I think I know about the story of Jonah and I want to just set it aside for a second. And I want to allow the Spirit to help me see this amazing story with fresh eyes, not fish eyes. Um, right? With, with fresh eyes. Because this book will transform us. And it will challenge us in amazing ways. And that doesn't always sound like fun, does it? To be challenged. It's not all that fun. Um, I, I love nurses. My wife's a nurse. Um, so I love a nurse, but then nurses in general. Fantastic people. Um, and one of the things I love is just the like, well, so many things. But I'll, I'll tell you one particular story. A couple of years ago, I like cut my foot. I think it was like seven or eight years ago. And I cut my foot on this like rusty metal fence post. And I realized I, didn't, I hadn't had a tetanus shot. Actually, I'm just thinking, how long are tetanus shots good? This is like seven years ago. Do I need another tetanus shot? Ten years. Ten years. Okay, I'm good for a couple more years. So I cut my foot on this rusty post, and I go into same-day care, and I'm like, I think I need a tetanus shot. And they're like, yeah. And the nurse comes in, and I tell her, um, I don't like needles all that much. And she says, oh, really? You're the first person who's ever said that to me. <laughs> it's like, ah, sarcasm. I love it. Um, and then, and then she says, she looks at me and she's like, yeah, this is going to hurt. <laughs> like, something, it's like, this might pinch you a little bit. Whatever. She's like, this is going to hurt. Wham! And so um, I appreciate that. And so I want to be real honest uh, that this is probably going to hurt. Like, as, as we dive in to the book of Jonah, this is probably going to hurt a little bit. And it's probably going to make us squirm a little bit. And I just want to just want to share that. And we're going to try over the next couple of weeks in the most loving, grace-filled ways to lead us into places that it makes us uncomfortable. Because it's always uncomfortable when there's darkness and the light shines on it for the first time. But that's why we're here, right? We're not here because following Jesus is, is easy. We're not here to take the easy route. We're here because we want Christ to transform us. At least I hope so. So, um, the Bible. If you have your Bible, um, go ahead and hold it out in front of you because this is, I, I wanted to say a couple of words of introduction because I think this is super important. Uh, we're just going to kind of geek out on Bible stuff here real quick because it is, I want you to love the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, please get one. We will help you get one. Don't leave today without having one. We have some study Bibles in the office. We'll hook you up. Um, but this Bible is absolutely amazing. Uh, so first off, it's not a book. It's not a book. It's a library. There are 66 books that make up your Bible. And it is a library of God's inspired words to his people. 
And so you have this amazing library, and it is so beautiful and so unique in all of the world. The Bible did not just fall out of heaven from God, and it's like, you know, some other religions is like, oh, I just found these tablets, and we translated them, and da-da-da. It's not how the Bible came to us, but the Bible is a partnership where God speaks, inspires people to tell their stories and to write down their histories and to, to tell their poems. And God infuses it with his spirit and it comes to us. And the purpose of the Bible is to lead us to Jesus. The Bible is God's inspired word that leads us to God's perfect word who became flesh. His name is Jesus. Take a look at John uh, chapter 5. This is what Jesus says about the Bible um, to his audience. He says, you study the scriptures diligently. Because you think that in them you have eternal life, but these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? He's like, scriptures, the reason we have them, the reason God has inspired them is so that they can lead us to Jesus because Jesus is the fullest revelation of God. He's our Lord. And and so um, the reason we look at any book in the Bible, the reason we look at Jonah is to to learn to know Christ better. Now these 66 books are, are, are just beautiful if you see it for what it really is. Um, because God doesn't just inspire one kind of writing. God inspires this wide range. The library of your Bible is full of all different kinds of writing that God inspires. There, there's some that's history, like just historical records, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. I mean, history. There's some that's narrative. It's, it's story form. There's, there, do you know one-third of your Bible is poetry? Did you, know, did you realize this? Like one-third of God's library is poetry. It's the Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And by the way, there's this like really sensual book called the Song of Solomon. Don't let your kids read that one. Um, all the kids in the room are like, Song of Solomon. Let's forget Jonah. Um, it's in the Bible. Like it's amazing. And, and so when we come to the Bible, the first thing we have to do as students of the Bible, we have to say, God, how do you want to speak to me through this kind of, what am I dealing with here? And the Bible isn't just a flat book where, where it's not like a recipe book where if you pull out, you have a recipe book on the shelf and you pull it off the shelf and you pull out a recipe for lasagna, it doesn't matter if it was in the front of the book or the middle of the book or the back of the book, you follow the recipe and you're going to make lasagna. Does that make sense? The Bible's not an inspired recipe book. There's an arc to it. And and, and so we have to understand, God, what are you saying to me? What am I dealing with specifically when we look at the book of Jonah? What kind of writing is this? Because we read the Psalms, the poetry of the Psalms, differently than we read the Sermon on the Mount. Would you agree? We, We have to know what it is when we read it differently. We read Song of Solomon differently than we read the letters of Paul. They're different things, and they're all inspired, and they all speak to us, but we have to understand what they are. So, um, that is kind of the, that, that's kind of the intro. That's what I want us to, to understand as we come to this. So, let's take a look at Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, verse, we're going to look at the first three verses today. So, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Let's stop right there for a second. So immediately, um, there's a story going on. It's it's like you're just sort of right in the middle of a story. You're introduced to this guy, Jonah, son of Amittai. And immediately, like if you're familiar with the Bible, you know what kind of book this is. It's a prophecy. Take a look. Turn turn, uh, one page to the right to the book of Micah, right? 
Um, the book of Micah, and let's look at verse 1 of Micah. The word of the Lord came to Micah. So you have all throughout these prophetic books, you have um, like the, these people, these men who've been called out and raised up as prophets. And prophets weren't fortune tellers, like they weren't, you know, crystal ball, kind of looking into the future. Sometimes prophets saw things in the future that God said, hey, if you, my people, don't turn around, this is where you're headed. But more often than that, God's prophets were, were just raised up to be God's mouthpiece. And, and the prophets had the role of helping people turn around and come back to covenant with God, come back to relationship. That's what the prophet's role was. And so automatically you have, you, you hear this and it's like, ah, Jonah is a prophet. Um, but it's incredibly unique that Jonah is a prophet, but it's unlike any other prophetic book. You don't have anything in the Bible that's like Jonah. Because every other book of prophecy in the Bible is, a, is like this, this long list of here's what God said, here's how the prophet said it, and then here's how the people responded. Okay? Does that make sense? That's what you'll find in every other prophetic book, except Jonah is a story about a prophet. There are eight words of prophecy in the whole book. Five in Hebrew. It's a story about a prophet. It's completely unique. Now, there are two views on how we look at Jonah. And I think this is going to be really helpful because I've had lots of conversations with people who really struggle with this, who struggle, like, what, what, is, what is Jonah in the middle of the Bible? And there are two camps. And I would guess some of us maybe have never even considered it. Maybe you're new to the Bible, and that's awesome. But I would guess most of us fall into two camps. There is one camp of Christian scholars, like people who love Jesus, take the Bible seriously, believe it's inspired by God, conservative Christian scholars who say, we think Jonah is historical. We think it's like all the other books of history that the prophet named Jonah and it chronicles his life and his running from God and God turning him around and he went to Nineveh and he preached this message in Nineveh. There was this revival in Nineveh. And so we think it was, it was a historical account. Does that make sense? So many of us are probably in this camp, okay? And if you're in this camp, you're in good company. There's lots of Christian scholars who are in the camp. But there's this other camp of Christian scholars who love Jesus, who take the Bible seriously, believe it's inspired by God, who say, actually, Jonah is a parable. And we should read it as a parable. Um, very similar to the way when Jesus tells parables, like in Luke, Luke's gospel, full of parables. Um, when Jesus says, hey, there was a man who had two sons, an older son and the younger son. And the younger son goes to his dad and says, hey, I want half of the estate. Um, because we know it's a parable, we don't ask questions like, was there really a father who had two sons? Did he really like, give him half of the estate? Did he, like, you know, because we know, is the parable of Jesus true? Please shake your head and say, yes, it's true. How is it true? It speaks truth to us that invites us into the story that we say, oh, I'm the younger son. I'm the older son. And so the Bible is full of these kinds of parables. In fact, the very next chapter, in Luke chapter 16, there's a parable of uh, Jesus says, there was, this, there was this beggar named Lazarus, and he was laid at the gate of a certain rich man. And Jesus actually pulls this historical figure, Lazarus, and he, he creates a parable around him. Now, was there really, um, did, it, did it really happen the way this kind of went down, the rich man, Lazarus, all of that? Well, we understand it to be a parable. And so we allow it to speak to us in the ways that Jesus intended it to speak to us. And so there's this whole camp that says the book of Jonah is a parable. 
As you read it, it's funny. It's like, it's, it's crazy. It's kind of over the top. And it, all of a sudden, you start looking at it and you start to say, Jonah, like, what are you doing? And then you realize all of a sudden, hey, wait, I'm Jonah. Right? And it's sort of, it's kind of a sucker punch. And so, I want to just like say that to you, that whatever camp you fall into, um, we want to open ourselves to what God wants to say to us through this amazing, amazing story. So, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And what does Jonah do? Uh, Verse 2. This is what God says. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away. Like, if you're reading this, you would say, what? You're a prophet. Prophets don't run away. Like, the whole reason you're a prophet is so you can hear the word of the Lord and speak it to people. You know, prophets aren't allowed to run away. Jonah runs away and from the Lord, and he headed to Tarshish. Everybody say Tarshish. That's a fun word to say, right? Um, Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship there bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard, and he sailed from or for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Like, you're reading this, and you're like, wait, What? Prophets aren't allowed to run away from God. Jonah, this is a dead-end street. You can't run from God, and yet he does. Um, Now, there's this long history of prophets being reluctant to listen to God. Do you know what happens with Jeremiah when Jeremiah is called? Jeremiah says, I'm too young. When Gideon's called, you know what Gideon says? I'm too weak. The word of the Lord comes to Isaiah. Isaiah says, I'm too sinful. Word of the Lord comes to Moses. Moses says, I don't talk good. I'm not good with talking. Um, And so there's this whole like, oh, prophets are always resistant, but they always obey. Because that's what they do. They're prophets. You don't have a prophet who runs from God. And not only is he running from God, his disobedience is extravagant. When it says he was called to Nineveh, um, he, and he runs to Tarshish. Tarshish is like saying Timbuktu. It's like saying he went to the furthest, most point in the known world of the day. It's the Strait of Gibraltar that connects Spain and Morocco. And it was like this paradise. This, if you've ever seen like pictures, or maybe some of you have been to Gibraltar, it's like the rock of Gibraltar. And be- I mean, it's paradise. And so it's like saying, God says, hey, I want, you to go, I want you to go this way. And you can put the map back up. And he's like, yeah, I think it's time for a vacation. Been looking for working on my tan a little bit. It's a good time. So he heads down to the port, prophet, heads down to Joppa. And do you know what he finds in Joppa? A boat that's fully loaded and ready to go to where? Tarshish. It's a sign from God. How many of you have played that game? Like, you, you know God is calling you to do something, and every little thing that happens you see as a sign that maybe God is not calling me to do that thing. Maybe God is calling me to do something else. Oh, the, the boat, it's loaded, it's ready to go, it's headed to Tarsus, it must be a sign from God. And we play that game with ourselves, and it's, it's a dead-end street. So we would be laughing if we were reading this in the first century. Why did Jonah run? What was, what was so crazy about Nineveh that, God would, that he would run from Nineveh? So Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. How many of you have seen this symbol, the, the, sort of the winged bull? Have you seen this before? Uh, there we go. 
So maybe, maybe you've seen this. If you were seeing this in the ancient world, it would have struck terror into your heart. Because Assyria was the most cruel, the most violent, the most oppressive, the most powerful empire in the day. And Nineveh was its capital city. And so um, when it says, go to the great city of Nineveh, it's not like, ooh, Nineveh's awesome. In fact, we're told Nineveh, like, their evil, their wickedness, is like God is surveying the world and the, he just sees this wickedness coming up from Nineveh. So he sends his prophet there. But like Assyria was so brutal. Like you, you, can, you can just read account after account of their brutality as they conquered people. Um, the, the horrific things they did to torture people, to demoralize them. And in fact, in 722 BC, it was the Assyrian Empire that swept in on Israel and carried off 10 tribes of Israel. 10 of the 12 tribes just wiped them off the map and deported them back to Assyria. So they were like feared above any other people group at the time. So Jonah says like, Nineveh, are you kidding me? And he runs the opposite direction. You see, God had called Israel not to be special, like not to be just like, hey, I'm going to call you and you're going to be my special group of people. But God had chosen this one little group of people to say, you're going to be unique and you are going to be the way that I bless the whole world. The reason I'm calling you is so that you can reach out to every people group, to every ethnic group, to every nation, because I want to draw all people into a relationship with me. And Israel, I want to use you to do it. But Israel was crippled by fear. They looked around and they saw the Assyrian Empire to the north and they saw Egypt to the south. And there's this tiny little people group surrounded by all these big, bad, powerful nations. And they started just like letting fear take over. And fear always leads to like sort of anger at our enemies. And it leads us to take on a a mode of protection. And we try to preserve ourselves. And then we lash out at their enemies. And it always leads us like to just sort of protect ourselves. Fear will cripple our calling. Fear and anger will cripple our sense of mission in the world. And, and, and so maybe one of the dark places inside of us that we have to recognize this morning is fear. Like I just, if I'm really honest, I, I live in fear. Fear of, of health, fear of, you know, forces outside of my control. And fear cripples me. And so maybe that's one of those dark places where we just need to allow the light of Christ to shine out. Do you know what heaven says to earth? Do you know the message from heaven to earth more than any other message? Is don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. This is, what, this is what God has to say. Don't be afraid. So Jonah, he allows fear and he allows anger. And he, he just says, I'm, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to run away. Now, here's the thing about the, the story of Jonah and why it's so amazing is that it confronts this whole idea that there are good guys and bad guys. Sometimes, like, you watch, like, superhero, you know, movies and stuff like that, and my son the other day was saying, like, oh, like, he's a bad guy. I said, oh, he's a bad guy. Okay. Do you think he's all bad, or is there a little bit of good inside that bad guy? It's like, okay, it's probably a little bit of good. So what about the good guy? Do you think he's all good, or is there a little bit of bad inside that good guy? It's like, yeah, there's probably a little bit of good inside or bad inside the good guy. Jonah is the prophet of God and he's the most unfaithful person in the story. 
He's the one who's supposed to be speaking on God's behalf, and he's running to Tarshish. And by the way, Jesse's talk about this next week. On the way to Tarshish, he's on a boat with pagan sailors. And in the end, Jonah says, kill me now, and all the pagan sailors are worshiping God. That's Jesse's sermon for next week. Um, (laughs) The prophet's unfaithful, the sailors repent. And then he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches this half-hearted, weak message that says, 40 days and the city will be overturned. 40 days and the city will be overturned. He walks through for three days. That's his message. He doesn't say why the city is going to be overturned. He doesn't say who to repent to. And here's the thing. So the prophet of God is being unfaithful to his calling. He has to get vomited out of a fish to be able to do it. And finally he goes, and the most pagan empire in the world, from the king to the animals, repent. The good guy isn't quite as good as we thought he was going to be, and the bad guys actually aren't as bad as we thought they were either. See, sometimes we can start to see ourselves, say like, I, man, I'm one of the good guys. But here's the thing about being a human being, is we're this crazy combination of good and bad. We are made in God's image, and we are broken people in need of a Savior. Uh, if I was going to ask you to describe a human being, just say the word yes if this applies. Are humans kind? Yes? Are they cruel? Yes. You know they're opposites, right? Are, are humans civil? Yes. Are they savage? Are they creative? Are they destructive? Are they honest? Are they deceptive? Like you realize what's happening here, right? Like these are polar opposites. And yet we recognize that. This is the invitation of Jonah to say, you know what? Me, my people, we're not as good as we think we are. And those people, they're probably not as bad as we think they are. That God actually loves them too. And so, um, with Jonah, we, just, we, we get to look in the mirror and we get to ask these questions. Is there any way in which you're running from God? Like, is there any way in which I am running from God? And, and Jonah finds out he can't run from God. And he knows this. And he knows it's foolish to do it. We try to run from God in all kinds of ways. Most of the time, it's in the darkness. We try, to, we try to hide ourselves. We try to run from God when nobody sees us. We think we're all alone. Nobody's going to see us. And here's what Psalm 139 said. Where, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, God, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side, if I go to Tarshish, you're there. Like, God, I can't run from you. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, And the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Are you trying to run from God in some way? And you know God is speaking to you. You know God has been calling you. And you're running from it. And we know this because we run to Tarshish all the time. What is is that Tarshish in your life? So it can be sin. It can be, it can be something you're looking to to meet deep needs in you that it can't. It can, it can be sin. It can be toxic relationships. Um, it can be images that turn other people into objects to use. It can be pornography, stuff like that. It can be, uh, it can be drugs. It can be alcohol. It can be anything like that that we like, man, we, we try to run to escape. We try to numb the pain. 
So what's your Tarshish? And it, it, can be, it doesn't necessarily have to be a sinful. It can be, it can be something that's good that we just put out of place. It can be food, right? And we eat to escape. Um, it can be social media where all of a sudden you, just, you realize, I just need to distract myself. And so you end up scrolling through social media for an hour and you just, you just, just wasted an hour. And it, it's not, you don't end more fulfilled than when you began, right? You don't. And we know it but yet we distract ourselves with it. It's our Tarshish. Um, we, we consume ourselves in the lives of other people. Like we, we look at other people's lives and we say, God, if I just had their life, if I could just be more like that person, and we realize they're just as broken as we are. And, and so we, we distract ourselves. What is your Tarshish? That's the question for this Lent. And what's your Nineveh? What is it you're running from? What's that place of darkness inside of you that you don't want to admit it's there, but you know it is? And you try to hide it in the darkness, but even the darkness is light to Jesus, and you know he sees it, and you know he's asking you to do the really hard thing of just being honest about it. And that Jesus, when he shines his light on it, he doesn't do it to hurt us, he does it to heal us. And as long as it's a secret, and as long as we keep running to it, and as long as we keep giving it power, it is going to control us. But the moment we step into the light with it, we're honest and we say, Jesus, it's there. You know it all along. I confess it. I bring it into your light. Jesus will heal us of it. He takes power over it. What's your Nineveh? Here's the thing. Jonah could have got to Tarshish, and he'd have been a miserable man laying on the beach in Gibraltar, right? I mean, you can, you can make it to paradise. You can do this thing that you think is going to give you life, and it will leave you more miserable because the road to paradise, the route to paradise, always runs through Nineveh. Does that make sense? You, you won't get from where you are to the kind of life that Jesus is offering you without going through whatever that Nineveh is in your life. The route to paradise, the route to healing, the route to true life, abundant life, eternal life, it runs through Nineveh. So Jesus, we are broken people and you know it. We know we bear your image. But God, we're flawed and we're broken and we look to all of these things instead of you. And we run to them and we run from you. And Jesus, it's so foolish because you are our source of life. So God, we just confess, we just come clean. God, we want you to turn the bright lights on in our souls. God, we trust your character. We trust that you are good, that you don't want to hurt us. You don't want to do us harm. God, you want to heal us. And sometimes the light, it feels blinding and it feels like it's going to kill us, God, but we trust that it's not. We trust, Jesus, that you, you work with resurrection in our lives, God, that, that as we move through these places in our life that feel like death, you lead us to a new kind of life on the other side of it. So God, now, like as we, as we sing the song, as we respond to you, God, make us courageous. God, help us to square our shoulders and to name the darkness inside of us, whether it's, God, whatever it is. We trust that you're going to heal us, Lord, as we do. In Jesus' name. Amen.